Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. That was robust. Thank you. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with them to Matthew chapter 1. We are going to look at the Christmas story from Matthew. I know you're like, we should be in Luke, but Matthew's got one too. And it's got some great things for us to grab hold of today, and those are the things I want to share with you. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to make some comments from that. We're going to be in verse 17, okay, 1 and then 17, and then we're going to read the Christmas story from Matthew uh, verses 18 and following. Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. I have four words in my household that really upset me, four words that are spoken to me regularly that, that bug me to tears, and these are the words, but dad, you promised. You say, are you admitting to us that you're a terrible dad and break promises all the time? No, I'm not admitting that today. I'm not a terrible dad. I don't, I don't, I don't break promises as a general rule, but dad, you promised bothers me for this reason. My kids develop a depth and a specificity to my promise that I never, ever made. Let me explain what I mean. I might say to them something like, you know, I, I, I'm going to take you guys to Chuck E. Cheese if you get good grades this nine weeks, okay? And then all of a sudden, I get something back like this. Now, this is not factual, but it's something like this. That I'll hear, well, Dad, you said on Friday at 2 you'd take us to Chuck E. Cheese and get us the all-day play pass and then take us to dinner afterwards, and I'm like, no, I did not promise that. I said, after the nine weeks is over, you might get, no, you promised, but dad, you promised. I'm like, no. Here's a couple of things. I know that I didn't promise that because I'm confused most of the time. So I don't make promises that specific, right? And you say, does that mean, Pastor Matt, that your kids are liars? No, my kids are not liars. But my kids hear the promise, and then oftentimes they project into the promise everything they'd like the promise to mean. You know, so, so, so they hear, I get Chuck E. Cheese, and boy, it would be nice if, if he'd take us on Friday at 2 o'clock, because that's the perfect time, and, 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 and then, then, then if he would get us the all-day play pass, that would only cost him $4 million, and then, then he, he'll, he'll go ahead and take us to, to something different, because we don't like the pizza there. So they, they, they project the depth and the specificity of the promise upon me. This happens all the time. I'm told the exact time, the exact date, and the exact way that I'm going to fulfill a promise that I made. But, Dad, you promised. Here's the beautiful thing about Christmas, and this is something that Matthew's going to try to project to us today. There is nothing about Christmas that we have to project upon God. No part of the promise that he fulfills through Christmas that we're like, but, God, you promised. In fact, every promise that God made about Christmas was specific, and there was depth to it. We didn't have to project the specifics to him. We didn't have to make the promise deep. He had been weaving the pattern and story of human history so long in order to bring us the promise of Christmas. And as we think about the joy, the hope, the love, and the peace that the Advent season is supposed to remind us of, I would add a fifth word, promise. There's a promise that God has made and a promise that he's going to fulfill and I think if we see what Matthew's trying to get across to us today through this promise, not only will we see the beauty of the depth and the specificity of who our God is, but we're going to see what the promise means for us and what we should do about it. Are you in Matthew chapter 1? Let's look at this promise. Look at chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Matthew. Matthew starts his story about Jesus in this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Now, for those of you who know what a genealogy is, you've been on Ancestry.com, you, you get the list, right, of all the people who are your forebearers. And Matthew's about to give us one. But before giving us the list of all the forebearers of Jesus and Joseph and Mary, what Matthew's going to do is he's going to stop and say, listen, there were promises made. He said, I didn't read promise, but there were promises made. There were promises made to these two men that we are specifying here in chapter 1, verse 1. A promise made to Abraham and a promise made to David. Now, you might know about Father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. You know the song, right? It's not gender inclusive. We don't sing it anymore, but that's what the song was, right? But, but, but here's, here's the thing about Abraham. Abraham had got the promise that he would be the father of a great nation, and, and that came true, which was crazy because he was way too old and so was his wife. Abraham got the promise of the promised land, and that happened, and that's still true to this day. I don't know how the Israelites are still around other than the providential hand of God. But there was a promise that God made to Abraham that at the time of Christ had not yet been fulfilled. Did you know? The very first promise, in fact, that God made to Abraham was this. Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was the first promise way back in Genesis 12. Now, if you looked at the Israelite people in the year 1 BC, you would not have seen any set of circumstances under which this umpteenth time conquered nation, this small dot on the map could somehow do something that would resound through nations in order to bless them. God had not yet fulfilled that promise that somehow he was going to bless the world through the descendants of Abraham. And there was a second promise, and that was the promise to David. You know David, David and Goliath. You know the story. David became king, and God told him in the book of 2 Samuel, I am going to do something through your line that is going to last forever. What do you think of that? David's like, that sounds good. But as yet, it had not come to pass. This is the promises that have been made. And this is what Matthew thinks about when he thinks that Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, same word, just in the Hebrew and the Greek, Messiah Christ, we would say anointed one, Jesus the Savior. No, not Harry Potter, not Aragorn, and not Luke Skywalker. The real Savior, the anointed one who's legit forever, is going to come. He's going to change the world forever. And he's going to fulfill the promises that are made to Abraham and to David. So Matthew gives us this whole genealogy of Jesus. He goes through person after person after person after person, and I'm going to read them to you slowly. <laughs> Kidding. Merry Christmas. That's your gift from me. Let's go to verse 17. So this is what Matthew says. He says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation, that's the Babylonian captivity, from David to the deportation, to Babylon, 14 generations, and from deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And so we sort of see Israel's history broken up into these segments. Abraham was made a promise that was absolutely ridiculous, but God is fulfilling it. David was made a promise that seemed absolutely ridiculous, but God is fulfilling it. In the midst of that, God's people are exiled to Babylon. Horrible things happen to them. There's no reason that they should ever go back to the Holy Land, yet they do. And through all of that, it was 14, 14, and 14, and Matthew needs his readers to know that. He needs us to see the numbers. Now, the interesting thing about all this is there's a lot of explaining to do, right? I'm explaining a lot to you this morning. Most of us are not Jewish. And though some of us, most of us being Christian, have read portions of the Old Testament, there's a lot to the promise here. There's a lot going on. And Matthew was written specifically to Jewish readers, ones who would have gone, oh, yeah, promise to Abraham. Oh, yeah, promise to David. Oh, yeah, 14, 14, and 14. Got it. You say, so what does that mean? Well, let's come back to it. 
We'll round back to that in just a few minutes. But I just want to mention to you something that's so clear from this genealogy that we didn't read for the sake of time and mental health. What's so clear is that over and over and over again, God makes a promise, and human beings respond in trust, and amazing things happen. I mean, you look at the names on that list, including some of the wonderful women of the faith, Tamar and Ruth and Rahab, you look at this and you go, wow, God promised, promised something miraculous, amazing, a great plan, and human beings trusted, and incredible results happen. And it's through that lens that we're supposed to read the Christmas story. Let's read verse 18 and following. Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name, this is important, and he called his name Jesus, just as the angel had told him to. Now this is unexpected. So what's so unexpected, Pastor Matt? We've been expecting Jesus' advent. There were promises made the Jewish people would have expected. They would not have expected a virgin birth. In fact, as best the scholars can guess, the idea of this passage from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and give birth, and we shall call his name Emmanuel. The people who were looking for a Messiah would not have been looking for that promise to be fulfilled. But yet God is being specific and showing the depth of his promise once more. That that passage is in there. And that God did have a plan to bring about the birth of his divine son in human form through the Holy Spirit by being placed in the womb of a virgin. There is, there is no hint of sexuality here. This is a miraculous implantation of a baby in order for God's Messiah to come. Now, God's specificity and depth is awesome when you consider Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and the virgin shall conceive, and the miraculous nature of this is so cool, but for the people involved, this absolutely stinks. This is a scandal. This is scandalous. God doesn't seem to care, but the human beings involved seem to care that, that Mary is pregnant, and Joseph knows, that baby ain't mine. It's not mine. Nope. Absolutely certain, it is not mine. Yet I'm supposed to marry her. Can't do that. Joseph recognizes the scandal. And I want to tell you something, and this is just a sidebar. This is a side note. This is, this, is, this is past the price of admission. If I were making up a story about how the Son of God came to earth, I would not include the virgin birth. Why would I create these problems for myself, right? 
Like, like, like here's the, that's a cool thing. When you read, I, I challenge you, I, I, when you read the Gospels, there are so many things that happen that you would go, if I was making up a story that I wanted people to believe, I certainly would have put that in. And, and this scandalous nature of the story is not lost on Joseph. Joseph is going, uh, Mary, uh, no, can't marry you. Because that is, that is, that is, that is not good. For the people who would have known Mary was pregnant, they would have assumed, if Joseph had married her, that, that, that he had been wrong. And not only that, if he were not to marry her, as we see, he's going to try to get things over with quietly because this is so scandalous. But the Bible shows us this story to show us the depth and the specificity of God's promise and the fact that God will supersede and go over what human conventions are that make us feel so outraged at the concept of what's going on here. So Joseph decides he's going to put Mary away quietly. No, we can't, we can't marry because you're pregnant and it's not mine. And an angel of the Lord comes to him in the dream and says this, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You want to know why? That's the Son of God. And, by the way, you need to name that child Jesus because by naming him, you will claim him as in your line, in the line of David. So go ahead and name that child because you need to do it because you are in the line of David the king. God is going to fulfill his promise through you. And Joseph wakes up. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had some pretty funky dreams. If I did everything that took place in my dreams, weird things would result. I mean, this takes a whole lot of faith. In fact, like just a couple of days after this new carpet was laid, I, 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 for those of you who, who, do, who are newer here, this used to be a gymnasium, and the carpet had, 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 had all of these cut-ins of lines for a basketball court, and I, wa- I, I dreamt that I walked in these doors, and they were cutting in the basketball lines again. <laughs> and I screamed the Jerry Seinfeld, no, you know, the scream, like, no, no, it's no carpet, there's no hoops, you know, Dreams can be weird. But Joseph wakes up, and Joseph goes, that was real. That was real. He takes Mary as his wife, and I can't imagine this. He's got to look at her and say, I'm trusting that that's the Son of God in there. I'm trusting that that's not somebody else's child. And every time he sees her for nine months, he's got to go, I trust what that angel said. And when this baby is born, he's got to go, I trust. I trust that, that I can take this child as my own. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge level of trust. Because the shepherds had not yet come to be like, hey, we saw angels out there. There were angels. There were angels out there told us this was the Messiah. That would have been a good moment for Mary and Joseph, don't you imagine? The shepherds show up, and they're like, you saw angels? Yeah, we saw angels. They told us to come here. Oh, good, good. We were hoping this was God's son, right? That would have been a good moment. It would have been a good moment when, when the wise men came, right? And they're like, we saw his star rising in the east. They're like, he had a star? Thank you. We did not know he had a star. We're glad he has a star. We were really hoping this was the son of God, right? So, so God sends confirmation, but at the point of this story, there is no confirmation, There's just radical trust. Remember what Mary said in the book of Luke? Let it be unto me as you have said, irrespective of what's going to happen to her societally, let it be unto me as you have said. See, this is so important. Isn't it interesting that the promise that God has been working towards 
from the beginning of time, he still is waiting on radical human trust to bring to fruition. He awaits Mary and Joseph's radical trust to fulfill his plan. Because in this way, what's broken between God and humanity is mended. Because humanity's distrust of God is what started this thing in the wrong direction. And when human beings trust God and God's miraculous plan come together, incredible things take place. We are here this morning because Mary said, let it be unto me as you have said, because Joseph went, I'll name that child. Radical trust in the midst of God's plan. This sets into motion the means by which God is going to save the world because God had a specific plan and human beings said, I trust you. You say, that's beautiful, Pastor Matt. I love that. Merry Christmas. Sounds good. What does that mean to me? Well, there was one thing that we've left hanging out there, one promise that Matthew wants us to see that has not yet been expressed. Remember, Matthew wanted us to see this promise through a lens, did he not? He wanted us to see what God was doing through the lens of this genealogy. And remember back in verse 17, he said, listen, there were 14 generations and 14 generations and 14 generations. I need you to know those numbers, my Jewish audience. You're not, you're not Jewish. He was writing to the Jewish audience. But now today we can say, what is it that they would have seen? What would his first audience have known as they are reading this book going, oh, wow, 14, 14, and 14. God's promise is awesome. What would they have known? What would they have seen? And I want to tell you, it was so abundantly clear that I studied for days to figure it out. I mean, I'm serious, and I mean this, and I studied it again this week to make sure I wasn't off base, but I studied this years ago, and it made absolutely no sense to me. 14, 14, 14. I looked all over the Old Testament for three groups of 14. Nope. <laughs> Not going to find them. But Matthew is thinking, yeah, my audience is going to see this and be like, yes, God is awesome. And I'm like, I don't see it, and I'm a Bible scholar, <laughs> right? <laughs> Missing it. Missing it. I, and the theories out there are absolutely wild. Like in the Hebrew, David's name is, is Dalit Vav Dalit, DVD. Never thought about that before. I didn't say it in the first service, DVD. Anyhow, and D is the fourth letter of the alphabet in Hebrew, and V is the sixth letter, and, and, and D is again the fourth letter. If you put four, six, and four together, you get 14. That's why. And then somebody else was like, oh, no, well, you know, what, what you got to do is you, you don't take it as three fourteens. You got to take it, you got to take it as, 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 as six sevens. And if you could do six sevens and put the six sevens together, and then you realize that the six seven will make the seventh seven. The seventh seven is the perfect seven because it's seven sevens, because seven is the perfect number. If you put the seven sevens together, you get the seventh week, and that's why Jesus came. <laughs> no, literally, this is in the commentaries. <laughs> You need, a, a, you need an accountant, a numerologist, and an astrolo astrologer just to figure out any of these theories. But at one point in the past, I had a Messianic Jewish man. That means a, a person who, who is Jewish but, but who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He put his hand on my shoulder because, you know, that's what he did. He goes, you know why it's, it's 42. I said, why? He said, Matthew, chapter 1, 14, 14, and 14 is 42. 
say, you probably could have done that math quickly. I can't. But he, he said, 42. I said, what do you mean? Because I had never been able to see three 14s. There are no three 14s in the Old Testament. It just doesn't exist. But 14, 14, and 14 is 42. And he said, you know why it's 42? And I said, no, tell me. And he said, there were exactly 42 stops for the Jewish people in the wilderness. When they left Egypt and were going to God's promised land, Numbers 33 records exactly 42 stops. It's the only 42 in the entire Old Testament. And I looked at him and I said, would Jewish people in the first century have known this? And he said, He said, Jewish people know what 42 means. They know the Exodus. They know the story of God's people wandering and wandering and wandering and waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. Matthew is telling us that the wandering of humanity is over. Jesus has come. Now, I went in my Bible because I wanted to make sure, and I made check marks next to all 42 stops in Numbers chapter 33. I walked to Pastor Otto's office and said, look, 42, just to be sure. What would a Jewish audience have gone, right, 42, to? The fact that there was a time in their history where through their sin they had been separated from God's promise, that they had been wandering in the wilderness and wondering if God had a hope and a future for them. And God led them into the promise in spite of their sin. And he brought them to where they were supposed to go in spite of themselves. And you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And it, it, it gets even more context in chapter 2. There's a reference made to out of Egypt, I will call my son. Matthew confirms to us that this wandering journey of humanity is over when Christ comes. You don't have to wander through this life anymore, wondering what it's about. You don't have to try to find meaning in different things and different concepts and different activities any longer but that when Jesus comes, humanity's wandering is over as long as the promise is received. As long as a human being responds in radical trust. And that's hard. You know, sometimes you come into church and we pray a prayer for those who want to invite Christ into their heart, and we pray that prayer. I remember my great prayer of radical faith. My great prayer of radical faith was this awesome, God, if you're real, I'll serve you. That's not radical faith. I didn't, I didn't pray all the right things. But I remember... When I said those words, something happened in my heart and my spirit that changed my life forever. And even in saying, God, if you're real, I'll serve you, was enough for God to go, I am, and your wandering is over. 
You don't need to make up your own reality, figure out why you're on this earth, figure out what you're supposed to be doing here. I'm telling you right now, my son answers all those questions. He is myself with you, Emmanuel, God with you. You don't have to wander. You don't have to wonder any longer in this life. Just put your trust in me. And that time in the wilderness will be over. That can be true for you today. You say, well, I, I accepted Jesus at some point in my life before. I've gone to church and I've, I, I've done the religion thing before. But I want to tell you, Pastor Matt, I've wandered a lot since then. Well, there's good news. Jesus came to save you from that wandering. Came to save you from that sin. You know, life can easily be defined by the things that people have done to us that are wrong and the things that we've done to others that are wrong. Our lives can be defined by sin. In fact, oftentimes they are wandering through this life, getting hurt and hurting others, and I can't stop that pattern. Well, guess what? Jesus has come. So much so that he didn't even just deal with the sin, he dealt with the effects of sin, which is death. He came so that we might live and live eternally. That's who Jesus is. Our wondering about eternity is over. Our wandering through this life can cease. For those of you who know Christ today, I have a word for you. Do not let Christmas become a flood of dissipation by which the grandest thing that happens is opening presents. I invite you instead to see yourself in the face of Mary and Joseph. Say, God has a promise for the people around me. There are people who are wandering through this life and wondering why they're here. They're lost in life's wilderness and they don't need to be anymore. God, help me to trust you so that they may be pointed to Jesus. You say, Pastor Matt, are you asking me to get up and preach at my Christmas dinner table? No, I am not. Do you want me to explain that 42 thing? No, no, don't even try. Don't even try. But I believe if you commit this to prayer today, there'll be someone this holiday season who you know is wandering and who when presented with the promise of God in the face of his son will come home to God's promise for them. He can do that in and through your life if you'll let him. For those of you today who would say, I know I'm wandering, why don't you enter the promise of Christmas today and turn your life over to the one who gave his life for you? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to this earth. We thank you that you did not leave us in a world that has to be defined by sin and death that instead our lives can be defined by life and eternity. God, I remember the time in my life where all I could think about was the things that I'd messed up and the things that people had done to me 
and my life was defined by what the Bible calls sin. And I remember that day when I said, if you're real, I will trust you. I will follow you. I remember that day. All of a sudden, you lifted me from that pit, set my feet on solid ground for the first time in my life, and I remember that I have not had from that day to this, had to wander through this life or wonder what I was doing here for one more instant. You confirm that I am your child, that I am loved, and that you created me to be with me. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would make that real for someone in this place today. If you're here today, say, Pastor Matt, I don't want to wander any longer. My life has not been defined by God's plan for me. My life has been defined by anything but. And I want it to change today. I want the promise that Jesus makes. I want to be saved from the sins of this life and saved into eternal life that's you today and God is speaking to your heart just between you and him would you just raise a hand to heaven and say God I want that promise today I want to receive your promise today I want to be done wandering and wondering what I'm doing I want that promise today can I have it just as an act of your faith say God that's me raise your hand there you can raise and put it down I'm not even looking between you and him God if you're real if this is true Fulfill that promise in me today. Redefine my life right now. Give me a fresh start, new birth. May the Lord Jesus Christ make himself real to you today, I pray. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room today, Lord God, if they've raised their hands. Lord, I pray that the prayer of faith, that prayer that just says, Jesus, fulfill God's promise in me would be yea and amen in this place. Holy Spirit, touch the hearts of those who in humility want to end their wandering today. I pray, Lord, for those whose wandering ended years ago, for those who have known joy and life and hope and peace through Jesus, I pray, Lord, that we would not rest back on our laurels and allow another season to pass. Instead, Lord, I pray that we would be bold with radical faith in order that we might point people to Jesus who can rewrite every life story. Lord, I pray you'd use me. I pray you'd use us to help somebody end their wandering and their wandering. Help us, Lord, to bring the joy and the peace that you've given us into the life of another person. Use us mightily, Lord, because you also promise that you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We pray you'd use us to make that true.